Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Unspeakable Love Sermon Series, which is based out of the book of Hosea. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Well, tonight we're going to come back to the book of Hosea. We're in our series, Unspeakable Love, and I'm looking forward to tonight's message. Of course, the book of Hosea, studying this book out, written by a man by the name of Hosea. And uh, if you go to, uh, to the, the Word of God, we find that Hosea is referred to as what's called a minor prophet. Uh, it's not because the message of Hosea is less significant than any other places. Uh, uh, they're called major prophets and minor prophets based upon length of book. And so uh, Hosea is considered a minor prophet, but written by Hosea. <clears throat> and uh, just kind of a little review from last week. Uh, there was two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and uh, all of them, the people of God, the people of Israel. But Hosea, he writes this book specifically to one of the kingdoms. And remember which one? All right, to Israel, the northern kingdom, to Israel. He writes it to Israel. And uh, the, the Bible prophecy that's written in the book of Hosea is mainly about the people of Israel that were living there on the north. And um, it's a time when what we discovered last week, this time in the nation of Israel's history and in, in Israel as well as Judah, um, that they're experiencing what we would know as really prosperity. Uh, a, it's a growing, it's flourishing under the, the reign of, uh, of Jeroboam, and it's kind of just uh, going along, and God is working, and man, a lot is happening. And uh, what's the sad thing is God was working, but the people weren't listening. And so their prosperity, it wasn't a spiritual prosperity, it was actual carnal prosperity. They were just growing uh, numerically and financially, and because of the prosperity they had, God had been trying to speak to them to get a hold of their heart, but the children of Israel, they were just ignoring him. They were just silencing God. They were living their own lives with uh, no care as to what God had said, and uh, they, had, they had been hearing from people like Elijah and Elisha and Amos, and Isaiah, and yet they were just pushing away the voice of God. They continued to ignore his voice. They were content doing life on their own, and they, they really didn't care what God had to say. And the reason God was trying to get their attention is because they were not living like people of God. They were being influenced by the falsehoods of the different people groups around them, and it was causing them to go into what we call idolatry. And it seems from studying the scripture, from studying uh, the contemporaries of Hosea, that would be the guys who were prophets with Hosea, as well as looking at the time right before him that we can read about in First and Second Kings, it would seem that the people of God, they had forsaken Jehovah God. They had been blessed by God, and yet they had turned their back to God. One man said it this way, and we looked at the quote last week. He said this, they were blood kin to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They lived only a day's march from Jerusalem and the temple, yet they wallowed in superstition, indulged in every form of immorality and social injustice, and worshiped at the feet of graven images. This is just depicting for us the culture in Israel at the time of the book of Hosea. And so because of this, because of their 
idolatry, they had crowded out or tuned out the voice of God. So as you come to the book of Hosea, what the book of Hosea is about is God doing something drastic to get their attention. Last week, we titled the message something along the lines of, can I please have your attention? What does it take for God to get your attention? And we looked last week at the children of Israel and God doing something drastic to simply get them to turn to him. And yet in the midst of just the first three verses, we see a great example of somebody who it didn't take much to get their attention, and that's Hosea. You see, because here's Hosea in this godless culture. Here's Hosea, I believe, standing for God. And I believe Hosea living a righteous life, wanting to please God, but loving God with all of his heart. Hosea understanding God loves him and deserves my love in return. And so Hosea, I believe when you look and you research the book of Hosea, I believe that Hosea was a man of God that was walking with God, wondering, God, where are you? So here he is, wondering, God, where are you at? When are you going to speak to me? And you remember what happened last week? God spoke. Man, what an awesome, what a, what a awesome a moment, right? You're kind of going through silence, if you will, and, and it says, the beginning of the word of the Lord. So God spoke to me. God, God finally came to me, and Hosea is excited until God tells him what to do. Because what did God ask him to do? Hey, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. <laughs> and not just any prostitute. I want you to go marry one that's going to be given over to that life. I was listening to one preacher preach on a series on Hosea, and you try to do some research and see, see uh, different takes on it. And, and he, said, uh, he said something along the lines of, you know, in that moment... I think Hosea might have said, I'm sorry, God, there's something in my ear. I feel like I heard you wrong. Well, what did you say? And we have to know that while we can read the scripture and we understand Hosea's initial, or uh, Hosea's um, uh, uh, response, we don't know his initial reaction. I, I can imagine his initial reaction was, what? Um... God, that doesn't make sense. God, why would you? But I'm thankful that God sometimes, he wants us to trust him by faith, but there's sometimes that God did, does reveal why we can trust him in faith. And God reveals it to Hosea, chapter, uh, Hosea chapter one and verse number two. Hosea, uh, God gives him the reason. Hey, Hosea, go marry uh, this lady and here's why because the land, the people of Israel, they're committing whoredoms against me. They're committing idolatry against me. And Hosea, I wanna use your life as an action message to get the people's attention. You remember God did that, right? We told the story of Ezekiel. We told the story of Jeremiah. We told the story of others that God used them and used their life as an action message, right? Ezekiel had to lay 390 days facing Israel on one side. And during that time, he had to eat food that was made with uh, the dung of animals. And it was just, a, it was all, he said, well, what in the world? Why would God do that? He was doing something drastic to get the people's attention. 
I wonder, again, I asked the question that I asked last week, what's it take for God to get your attention? Hopefully it's not something drastic. Hopefully it's just him simply, like Hosea, just speaking to you. Just the simple, still, small voice and the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God and the word of God to help me take steps towards God. Man, Hosea took that step towards God. He obeyed. He married a prostitute. And then God began the action message. I want you to stand with me and let's read our passage together tonight. Hosea obeys. He marries. Gomer is her name. And we go and we read. And now let's pick up our story. Let's just start in verse number one. And let's read down through verse number 11. The whole chapter, Hosea chapter one. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah. For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now, when she had weaned Lo-Rohuama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, call his name Lo-Ami or Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people and I will not be your God. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Man, you're not my people. I I lay no claim to you, and you can lay no claim to me. Verse number 10, yet, yet. That word yet is like the word but or however. Notice what he says. Yet the number of children of Israel, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head and they shall come up out of the land for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Man, Hosea is an interesting book. But I believe that as we go through the book, we really are gonna see the title of the series, we're gonna see it come to life, Unspeakable Love. And tonight I've titled the message simply this, Thank God for the Yet. Thank God for the Yet. And we're gonna see what that means tonight, a powerful, powerful study that I hope will be a blessing to us. And so let's pray and ask God to speak and then we'll get into his word. 
Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for this morning's service. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for Brother Abram being able to be with us. Lord, thank you for how you're working in their life. And Father, we do pray you'd give them wisdom. Thank you for Blake and the school and uh, Lord, the Bible study that started up. And we pray that you'd give him grace and strength and wisdom. And Lord, just help him as he works to minister to teenagers and reach his peers. And Father, we just pray right now for our time as we come to your word. I ask you, Lord, that you would help us uh, to have open ears and hearts, that we would be responsive to your word and understanding of what you have for us. And Lord, we just commit this time to you. Now, before I close my prayer, I want to ask you as a church family, would you take a moment to give God permission to speak to you? You can pray something simple. God, speak to me tonight out of the book of Hosea. And then make a commitment. God, what you speak to me about, I'm listening. I'm listening to you tonight. Again, Lord, thank you for your word. Pray that you bless our time. I humble myself and ask you to use me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we start tonight, I wanna to ask you a question. And that question is, have you, ever been a, uh, have you ever had a time in your life when you should have got in trouble, but you didn't? And by that, I mean, have you, ever, have you had a time when you got caught red-handed? I mean, you got caught but your parent or your teacher, they had mercy on you. You ever have that happen? How many of you, be honest, you've had it happen? All right. How many of you aren't raising your hand no matter what I ask tonight? Okay, there's a few of you. <clears throat> you know, it's even more different than a time when you were supposed to get in trouble but didn't is the time when, uh, I'll give you the scenario. When you were a kid and your parents say to you, now, if you'll do good in church tonight, if you'll do good after church, we'll go out and we're gonna get an ice cream. If you do good after church, we're gonna go out and we're gonna get ice cream. Okay, good. I'm gonna do good. And after church, we're gonna go out and get an ice cream. But during church, how, during church, you sit next to somebody like Brother Blim. They're out of town tonight, but you sit next to somebody like him or he sits next to somebody like me. And during church that night, you try your best. All right, I'm exaggerating. You don't try at all and you fail epically. And after church, mom and dad say, I told you. I told you that if you did good, we'd go get ice cream. Son, let me ask you this question. Did you do good? And you know the answer, no. And because of that, dad says, let's go have some father-son time together. How many know what father-son time is? So you go and you, and <laughs> you take part in father-son time. And after father-son time, dad says to you, son, I know you misbehaved tonight. And I told you that if you misbehaved, we wouldn't get ice cream. But son, because I love you, I've already punished you, but because I love you, we're gonna go get ice cream anyway. 
That's a good day. That's a good day. And can I tell you something that, uh, Rob, are you turning the heat off? It's getting, is anybody hot in here? Okay, Rob, Rob, slip over and just slip the heat off. Leave the air on, but the heat off. This thing has a mind of its own, especially this time of year. It's okay. Go stand on the platform. It's hot. Way hotter up there. Uh, you know the good thing about that scenario is that one is actually better than the first one. That scenario of dad saying, I'm punishing you, but I love you and I'll show you ice cream. We'll get ice cream anyway, is better than I'm not gonna punish you. Here's why. Because the punishment helps you learn the lesson. The ice cream helps you understand the love. Don't miss it. The punishment, the punishment is the one that helps you understand the lesson. The ice cream is what helps you understand the love. As we come to Hosea chapter number one, we're gonna see tonight that God is interested in his people understanding the lesson, but also getting the love. He doesn't say, you've sinned, that's okay. He says, you've sinned, there's consequences, but I love you. God gives his message through an action message. We've already talked about that. And I want you to take your Bible with me tonight. And I want you to understand as God comes to Hosea and, uh, and to uh, Gomer, we're gonna see that children are born. And when the children are born, it says it's God uh, through this relationship of Hosea and Gomer and these children. It's through these that God lays out the prophecy for the children of Israel. And so I want you to take your Bible with me and understand the message of God to the children of Israel. First of all, I want you to see tonight that God's message, it's a message of destruction. God's message to the people of Israel, it's a message of destruction. When you go to verse number three, the Bible tells us that Hosea marries Gomer. And so Hosea, here he is marrying this prostitute, this one given over to this sensual life. And he marries her and he gives her uh, his heart. He gives her all of him. He commits himself and pledges himself completely to Hosea. Interesting thought, the word Hosea would be equivalent to the word Joshua. The word Joshua is equivalent to the word Jesus. And the meaning of it is salvation or the Lord saves. And so here's Hosea saving Gomer from the life of sin and the life of prostitution and investing his life completely in her. That in and of itself could be a message of love. That in and of itself, we could, we could spend uh, the whole night talking about that picture right there of Hosea reaching down into uh, the dunghill, so to speak, reaching down into the sin crowd and rescuing Gomer and bringing her out. And what a great picture that is of salvation, that you and I don't deserve salvation, and yet the Lord reaches down and he pulls us out and he reaches down with his love and rescues the lost sinner. God was showing Israel by Hosea marrying Gomer, God was showing Israel that he, like Hosea, loved the unlovable. Well, the story tells us that Hosea and Gomer, they have a child. And the Lord says to name him Jezreel. The name Jezreel, it means may God scatter or may God destroy. God was using the name of Jezreel, as we've seen in the Old Testament, that names depict a characteristic or depict a prophecy. 
And so Jezreel was predicting a prophecy. Jezreel was actually a place. We've been there. It's known as the Valley of Megiddo or Armageddon. This place, Jezreel, it was the name of a place. And so in Hosea 1.4, the Lord explains why he wants Hosea to name him Jezreel. I'm going to read some of this just to uh, speed up the pace tonight. But the place called Jezreel assumed special significance in the history of Israel during the time of Ahab and Jezebel, especially in the story of Naboth, the Jezreelite who owned a vineyard near the place and he refused to sell it to Ahab. You remember the story that uh, Naboth has this, this vineyard right next to the palace. Ahab comes and says, hey, Naboth, I want to buy it from you. And Naboth says, no, it's been in the family for years. I'm not going to sell it to you. And Ahab goes and he pouts on his bed. Go read the story. He's laying and facing the wall in his bed, pouting. And his wife comes in and says, oh, honey, you're the king. Why are you pouting? And he pulls his thumb out of his mouth and says, my dear, Naboth will not sell me. He will not give me the vineyard. Go read the story. You say he wasn't doing it. Go read the story. He was pouting like a two-year-old. And Jezebel says, you're the king. Just take it from him. I don't want to. Well, Jezebel, she works. She gets people to lie about Naboth, gets Naboth killed. And then she comes and go, I have a present for you. And I can see him. What? Just like the two-year-old he was acting like. And she says, uh, you can have Naboth's vineyard. Thank you. This is God's plan. And then Elijah comes and denounces the act. And here's what happens. Elijah, he denounces the deed and he foretells of the doom of Ahab and Jezebel and their family. And he tells them, you will be overtaken in the valley of Jezreel. Where Naboth was killed, your blood is gonna be spilled out. So what happened, and you go read this, God uses Jehu, another king, to clean out the house of Ahab and the vile uh, religious system that Jezebel had set up and that she had brought to Israel. And then God foretells that Jehu's dynasty would last for four generations. That's the blessing for taking out Ahab and Jezebel. Your your, uh, kingship is going to last for four generations, and then I'm going to judge Israel for their sins. Okay, during Hosea's prophecy, we're in the third generation of Jehu's family reigning, about to be in the fourth. In the fourth generation, here's what God is saying by the word Jezreel. Destruction is coming. Hey, children of Israel, you ran from me. You have uh, committed idolatry against me. You have sought after different gods of the lands. Hey, I am going to bring destruction to Israel. Man, no one would have guessed it in the days of Jeroboam II. I mean, here he was, three descendants away from Jehu, and they're in a time of, of prosperity. Yeah, right, judgment is not coming. Destruction is not coming. We are prospering. And God, through the action message, says, no, 
destruction is coming. And the twofold meaning of Jezreel was completely prophetic, saying, hey, the strength of the kingdom of Israel is going to be broken on the battleground of Jezreel. In Armageddon, it's going to be broken. God is going to bring destruction. Israel, you've betrayed God long enough and judgment is coming. You can't, you can't escape it. You've brought it upon yourself. Israel, you deserve it. You've been unfaithful to God. And now God is going to deal with your sin. He's gonna deal with your unfaithfulness through destruction. It's a message of destruction. The Bible helps us also understand that it's a message of rejection. All right, it's a message of destruction, a message of, dis, uh, of rejection. Notice verse number six and verse number seven. She conceived again and bare a daughter, and God said unto him, to Hosea, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, nor by horses, uh, nor by horsemen. So now we're into a place where God says, now I've got a prophecy about Israel and Judah. And he shows us this prophecy through the next child, Lo-Ruhamah. Gomer, she's expecting again. But can I help you see something? There's something different about this pregnancy. Here's what it is. Verse three. Notice verse three. It says, he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived, and notice the phrase, and bare him a son. Skip down to verse number six. Here's what it says. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. What's missing? Him. You know what that means? There was another him. Lo Ruhama isn't Hosea's child. Hence the name Lohurama. You are not mine. I have no mercy. The name Lohurama, it means this, she who never knew a father's love or unpitied. Now listen, don't miss all this tonight. This is, this is some really good stuff. The, Lord, the word lohurama is rendered not beloved in Romans 9.25. It's rendered uh, had not obtained mercy in 1 Peter 2.10. It's used as a name. The word expresses deep, a, a deep yearning and means you've never known a father's love. In Psalm 103.13, that it tells us that the Lord pitieth his children, but through lohurama's uh, name, God was saying, I will have no more mercy upon the house of Israel. I will take them away. I, they, they will not know my love. <clears throat> For Israel, doom was sure. God's mercy, the day of mercy for Israel was over. And God was saying by naming the next baby, Lo Rohuama, I reject you. I reject you. You're not, even, you're not even part of me. You don't belong to me. I reject you. 
You see, up until this point, and we can go back and you can read the book of Kings, that God had showed mercy time and time again to Israel. But Jeroboam I had provoked God by bringing back the worship of golden calves. Ahab provoked God by installing the foul worship of Baal, Ashtaroth, and Molech. Jehu had provoked God because he instituted religious reforms and reverted to calf worship as well. And now Jeroboam II was provoking God because he had taken God's military successes for granted, and he was continuing in the sins of Jeroboam I. So you see, God had shown mercy time and time and time again by sending people like Elijah, Elisha, Joel, Amos, Jonah, and the list could go on. And yet all of those prophets were preaching and speaking and uh, just pouring out their heart and God's message. And yet God, they, they were rejecting God and saying, no, we will not. We will not listen to you. And so God, through Hosea and through the daughter Lo-Ruhama, God is saying, your day of mercy is ended. I will have no more mercy upon you, but I will spare Judah. That's verse number seven. I will spare Judah. I'll have mercy on the house of Judah and I'll save them. I'm not gonna save them by sword or by battle or horses or horsemen. I'm going to be the one that steps in and save them. Now you can go research prophecy and I'll just give it to you very quickly. Judah, who had a good king and would have a succession of many good kings would be delivered from the fate that would overtake Israel. And history shows that the Assyrians, they attacked Samaria, the Northern kingdom, Israel. And then they went to attack Jerusalem and God gave a victorious victory, a, a, a miraculous victory. But Israel now is facing destruction and rejection. Not only am I gonna destroy you, but I reject you. Message of destruction, a message of rejection. Thirdly tonight, it's a message, of, a message of isolation. Notice verse eight and nine. Now, when she had weaned, lo, Ruhama, she conceived, and notice again, and she bare a son. She conceived and bare a son. What's missing again? Him. Now there's another him. It doesn't say that she conceived of Hosea and bare him a son. So now, Gomer, three children, three different fathers. And notice what God tells Hosea to name this child. And this is, this is deep. Here's what he names her, or names him. Loami, or Loami. Not my people, no kin, no relationship of mine. Through the name Loami, God was announcing his determination to deny having any relationship with Israel, who was now, by the terms that we would use, apostate. They had completely turned their back on God. This nation so greatly loved by God had repaid him with indifference and with contempt and with ignoring his voice. They had shown their scorn by embracing the vile religions of the surrounding nations and the people groups that had intermingled with them. And they were cleaving to the pagan gods and, and they were devoting themselves to those false gods rather than to their God. 
And so God comes and says this, Israel, not only will I allow destruction and rejection to come, but I will also allow you to be without me. I sentence you to isolation. I will no more walk in the midst of my people. You will not be my people. Look at it. Look at verse number uh, um, 10. Then said God, call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. You know what God's saying? One word, enough. I'm done. Destruction is coming to you. Rejection is happening in your life. Isolation is your future. What an exciting study so far, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You see, they had allowed themselves to become so hard to the voice of God that they could no longer hear him. They were no longer paying attention to him. And so God is truly going to drastic measures to get their attention. Things are serious now. God says to Hosea, give my people this message. Destruction is coming. Is coming. I am going to allow destruction to come to you because of your sin. Rejection is coming. I reject you because you do belong to me, but I even reject you belonging to me. Isolation is coming. I am retreating from you. I am leaving you. Man, what a message. Ready for an invitation yet? You're like, well, what's this have to do with us? Listen, what a thought God is getting to. I mean, what does it take? What does it take really for God to get that fed up? One word, idolatry. Idolatry. Man, God must really be sick of their sin. He must be sick of it. He's fed up. He's disgusted. He's hurt. In God's message, it was harsh and it was pointed. And here's the thought. It was all because the children of Israel were idolatrous. The whole book of of Hosea is God likening, listen, it is God likening adultery to idolatry. Just like a spouse would be unfaithful to their spouse. And may I just stop and say, there is a great need for marriages in our country to be strong marriages by faithful spouses. This isn't in the passage, but I believe you could preach it. There's a good application here. God desires that you and I, if you're married, you are for your spouse and that spouse alone. That is it. Your eyes, your thoughts, your actions, your words, your connection, your emotions, everything belongs to the spouse you are married to, period. That's it. I could go on, but I won't because it's not my message. But here's the truth. Israel had committed spiritual Adultery. How? Idolatry. You say, Pastor, what is idolatry? Well, you know, it's when you have a little statue and you're bowing to the statue more than God. Is that idolatry? Yeah. 
But you want to know what else is idolatry? When you put anything in front of God. When money becomes more important than God. When relation, listen, when your relationships become more important to God than God. When your family becomes more important than God. When your sleep becomes more important than God. When your hobby becomes more important than God. When your sport becomes more important than God. When your time becomes more important than God. When your work becomes more important than God. When your life becomes more important than God. You know what you and I are guilty of? Idolatry. And God says when you've done that, you're committing spiritual adultery. That is harsh, and yet it's true. I agree. I agree, Vance. He's getting into it tonight. Listen, God's saying this, enough. You have put things in front of me too long. Now for them, it was literal idols. It was calves. But we're not gonna go, I'm not gonna go bow down to the piano, but I can put music before him. I'm not gonna bow down to my spouse, but I could put her before him. I'm not gonna bow to my children, but I could put my kids before him. It's idolatry. Does God want you to have a good relationship with your spouse? Yes. Your kids? Yes. Does God care if you enjoy music? Yeah. God has so much to ask for the mic. It's so much to say in the word of God about music. Does God mind if you like sports? No, he doesn't care at all if you like sports. Does God mind if you have a hobby or if you have a good house or a nice car? No, God doesn't care about all those things. But when it becomes a problem is when you and I put it before God. That is idolatry. That is spiritual adultery. And that is why the book of Hosea was written to the children of Israel saying, hey, hey, wake up, Israel, because I, I'm going to destroy you. I reject you and I'm going to push you off to isolation. Yeah, wow is right. But don't miss verse number 10. Because what does verse 10 begin with? Yet. However. But. And all, all, don't miss it. Hey, you have disobeyed me. You have turned your back on me. You have abandoned me. You have rejected me. You have committed spiritual adultery against me. You have literally positioned yourself completely against me. However, however, I still love you. Talk about unspeakable love. God's message, it's harsh and pointed, but his message isn't over. You go do the research, no biblical prophet ever pronounces just judgment, only judgment. And Hosea was no different because God's message, it was a message of destruction, rejection, and isolation, but his message is also a message of redemption. Notice verse 10 and 11. 
Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that, watch this, that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Man, Hosea, he speaks of a coming day when Israel is going to be forgiven, when their sins are going to be cleansed, when that relationship is going to be restored, and he prophesies that the tribes of Jacob will once again be gathered together as one people. And he speaks of that day when everything will be taken care of. And uh, this message is a message of redemption, grace, forgiveness, and love. It was written in the tragedy of human heartache of Hosea's life. And here's what uh, Hosea is saying, or God is saying through Hosea. Hey, listen, great shall be the day of Jezreel. He says that referring to the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon, when there, Jesus Christ is going to rise and be installed as the true Messiah of the nation of Israel. Here's what God says. Destruction is coming. Rejection is coming. Isolation is coming. But I'm not done with Israel. Israel, I still love you. And I will visit you with grace and mercy. The quote I have on the screen right now, this thought, this message of redemption, grace, forgiveness, and love was written in the tragedy and human heartache of Hosea's life. I have that because of this. <clears throat> I want you to think about Hosea's life. I mean, we're talking about a man's life. God is using his life to depict all of this. Hey, Hosea, name your first child Jezreel. <laughs> Destruction is coming to Israel. That's a little bit of a stigma. Oh, what'd you name your kid? Jezreel. Every Hebrew knew what that meant. They did. You and I, we go, oh, Jezreel, that's not, that's not that bad. I mean, it's, you know, it's a Hebrew name. No, everyone knew. Hey, what's your name, Jezreel? Oh, oh you're Hosea's kid, huh? Next child, Lo Ruhama. I will have no more mercy one who does not know the Father's love. Hey, what's your name, Lo Rohuama? <laughs> oh, you're Gomer's daughter. Who's your daddy? Who's, who's your dad? Huh? There's a little bit of a stigma there. And then Loami, not even mine. You don't even belong to me. Hosea's going through life that way. Do you ever think that Hosea's neighbors, I don't know, maybe they thought this, what does he see in Gomer? Why didn't he just divorce her and be done with it? Why didn't he just kick her out? And those children of, fornic uh, of, of whoredoms, why don't you just, just kick them out? He, and listen, Hosea, under the law, he had every right to do that. But when we think that, I wonder this. I'm curious if the angels ever wonder, God, why do you keep putting up with humanity? God, what do you see in the human race? God, why don't you just make an end of it? Just be done with them. I wonder if they ever say, God, why do you put up with Dennis Fountain? 
God, you could find someone way better to glorify you. Maybe they approach God and they ask, God, why continue working with someone who allows things to be put before you in their life? God, why do you allow Moses Lake Baptist to continue on? I mean, God, they're living in flesh. They'll probably sin again. They'll probably commit idolatry. They'll probably put something before you again. And here's God's answer. I love them, and I'm not gonna let them go. Destruction, rejection, isolation. However, I love them. His love is a love that suffers long. It's kind, Corinthians says. But here's what I wanna get to, and we'll be done. Go over to one chapter. Hosea chapter two and verse number one. Notice what God says. Through Hosea, he says to Jezreel, say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama. Now we read that and think, oh, well, what's that mean? Here's the thought. Instead of calling them Lo Ruhama and Lo Ami in the daily life, God's telling Hosea, hey, call them Ami and call them Rohuma. Man, he said that name five times fast. Just keep messing that one up. Here's what those names mean. Ami, it means mine or belongs to me. Ruhama, pitied one. Pitied one or one that knows a father's love. Man, Hosea chapter two and verse number one is God simply saying, however, it's God simply saying, hey, listen, you have abandoned me, but I still love you. Hey, you have turned your back on me, but I'm still pursuing you. Hey, you've committed spiritual adultery and idolatry against me, but I absolutely love you with all of me. My friend, you know what that is? That is grace and mercy and unspeakable love. You and I who are unlovable and you and I, listen, I'm not making excuses for it today. Let's just talk and be honest with each other. You and I who often fail God, God says, I still love you. Now, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? This does not give us an excuse to sin, but it helps me understand that God sometimes says, hey, listen, I wanna punish you so you'll learn the lesson, but I also wanna bless you so you understand my love. I want you to know I love you. I love you. The book of Hosea is a picture of love. The whole book is God saying, I want you to know how much I love you. Wow. And you and I, who at times are like uh, Israel, deserving of the wrath of God, yet because of his love, he gives us another day. 
And though I deserve destruction, God builds me up. And though I deserve rejection, God claims me as his child. And though I deserve isolation, God calls me to himself and then walks with me each and every day. No wonder the psalmist said, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. No wonder Solomon wrote in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22 and uh, uh, 23, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Can I tell you tonight that we truly serve an amazing God and you may be going through life, listen, and the devil may climb up on your shoulder and say, hey, you failed him again. Hey, listen, you dropped the ball again. Hey, you put something before him again. Hey, you said you'd get up and read the Bible, but you didn't do that. You said you'd pray, but you didn't do that. Can I just tell you tonight, you need to stop and think about the yet. Because God says, regardless of you, I still love you. Man, thank God for the yet. Thank God for the however. Now, again, does that give us excuse to stay in sin? No. I believe it should do the contrary. I believe tonight that we should look at a message like this or a passage like this and say, God, you love me so much, I'm going to turn around and love you back. God, I don't deserve your love. God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best, Lord, to love you from the inside out and let you change my actions so that like we learned this morning, my doing flows from a being and that my life is consumed. And so that when people look at me, they say there is somebody that loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, every part of me. God, I am in love with you because you have shared with me an unspeakable love. Can I tell you tonight, don't let a day go by where you don't thank God for the yet. Thank you, God. Thank you for the yet. Thank you for the however. Don't allow the devil to cause you this week. Number one, to have idolatry. God, help me not to put anything before you. But number two, if you have a day that you live in the flesh, don't wake up the next day and say, well, I messed up yesterday. I might as well throw in the towel. Listen, wake up on Monday morning and say, God, thank you for the yet. Help me not abuse it. God, thank you for the however. Help me to love you exactly the way that you love me. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed tonight, and I wanna challenge you tonight to take some time and thank God for the yet. Lord, I pray right now that you'd bless the invitation, help us to respond to you as you've spoken to us, Lord, that we would spend time at the altar in our chair realizing that we need to be thankful for the yet, the however, your love and your grace in spite of us. Lord, help us to understand that sometimes the punishment is used so that we would learn the lesson, but the blessings come so that we would understand the love. I pray, God, that you'd help us to respond to your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand to our feet, if God's spoken to you right now, would you come? The altar is open. Others are praying. Maybe you need to pray there in your chair. Listen, when's the last time you thank God for the yet? You might say, you know, pastor, man, I remember before I got saved, I just want to thank God for the yet. Some of you, you had some years where you got away from God. When's the last time you said, God, thank you for the yet? Some of you, it took a long time for God to get a hold of your heart. And yet he pursued you because of his love and his grace. Tonight, let's pause. And God, thank you. Thank you for the however. Thank you for the yet. Thank you for loving me in spite of me. 
Help me to love you and be consumed with that love in return. Let's respond to God tonight. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.